13. Um, on page 1047 in the Blue uh, Bibles. Luke chapter 13, beginning at verse 31. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He replied, Go tell that fox, I will drive out demons and heal people today and tomorrow and on the third day. I will reach my goal. In any case, I must keep going today and tomorrow and the next day. For surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Last week, uh, we uh, looked at Jesus, or read of Jesus, uh, in the desert, uh, battling with temptation. And today we have another vignette, another view, another scene of Jesus' life, and this time uh, he's sorrowful. He's not in the desert, but he's on the hills outside Jerusalem. He's looking down, and his heart is breaking. In uh, Luke chapter 19, we see again Jesus uh, praying over Jerusalem. And this time we're told that he's sorrowful and indeed he weeps. Verse 41 of chapter 19. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it has been hidden from your eyes. If you had only known what would bring you peace, but it's been hidden from your eyes. And Jesus' heart breaks because this city that he knows, this city that he he loves, this city that he's visited uh, many, many times and soon uh, will visit for the last time, is dear to his heart. And he loves the city and he loves the people in it and his heart breaks, he's sorrowful. Because he sees them and he knows that although they think they have peace, they really don't. And although they think they're prosperous, uh, they're really uh, desolate. And the tragedy, the tragedy of it is, is that they could so easily have peace. And they could so easily have true prosperity and riches in him. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I'm going to talk this morning about uh, honesty. I'm going to talk this morning about experiencing God's presence. Because I think these are two things that will bring us to a place 
of peace. Honesty and an experience of God's presence. I think Jesus is crying out for Jerusalem uh, to be honest. I think there's a real um, irony in there when he says, you'll not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And of course, that's a reference to the events that we know of now as, uh, or celebrate on Palm Sunday. When Jesus will ride into Jerusalem upon a, a donkey and he'll be uh, welcomed with open arms, the gates are thrown open and they'll say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and they'll throw uh, palm f- uh, throngs uh, down and they'll welcome him in. He's given a, a royal welcome, if you like. But Jesus knows that just a few short days later, uh, that same crowd which welcomed him uh, with their lips, uh, they will have turned. And that next time they'll be crying, crucify, crucify. And they'll be setting up Barabbas to go free. And Jesus is saying, if only you would welcome me. If only you would invite me in, then you would know peace. Two things that would bring Jerusalem peace. Two things they needed to do. One was uh, to be honest, to acknowledge the truth of their circumstances. And second, to welcome Jesus in and to uh, experience his presence. What will bring Jerusalem peace? What will bring us peace? Same things, I think. Honesty and an awareness of God's presence. I'd like to turn to um, at Psalm 27. I'm going to use this psalm to um, explore a little bit more what it means to be honest and what it means to seek God's presence. Uh, psalm 27, it's on page uh, 557 on the blue Bible, in the Blue Bibles. What I'd like us to do this morning is to read this psalm together. We're going to do this uh, corporately. Um, if you look at the psalm, it breaks quite, quite nicely into, um, I think it's four different sections. Verses 1 to 3 are one paragraph, uh, then 4 to 6, then 7 to 12, and then those last two verses, uh, 13 and 14. Now, what I'd like us to uh, read this, if we kind of divide the church down the middle, down the centre aisle, um, this side over here, We'll start by reading uh, the first paragraph together, so verses 1 to 3. And then we'll stop, and then this side over here, all you guys will swap, and we'll read uh, verses 4 to 6. Then we'll come back to you for 7 to 12, the longer bit. And then we'll conclude with us just reading the last two verses together. Okay? So together we say, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, Even then will I be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, 
that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle will I sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, O God, my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not hand me over to the desire of my foes. For false witnesses rise up against me, breathing out violence. I am confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. Wait for the Lord. Oh, Jerusalem, if you had known what would bring you peace... David, at the time of this psalm, this is a psalm written by uh, King David. We know him as uh, King David now. In all likelihood, uh, was on the run. Uh, the story of David's life, as you know, he was uh, chosen from a young age to be a, 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 a valet, if you like, for Saul. Um, uh, his assistant, his armor bearer, uh, gained the confidence of the king. Saul was the first king of Israel. And uh, became uh, a powerful person in the kingdom, uh, one of um, Saul's kind of chief lieutenants. And Saul becomes jealous of David and his popularity, and he kind of exiles him. So David goes on the run, he's on the run with a few uh, uh, other uh, soldiers who follow him. And for a number of years, there's a kind of guerrilla warfare going on between uh, David and his men and Saul and his men. And in time, uh, uh, David will come to be uh, crowned as the king um, of Israel. He will will take uh, Saul's place. Uh, It seems that this psalm was written around that time when when there's this kind of warfare between the two going on. And so when David speaks of evil men seeking to devour him, of enemies and foes, of armies surrounding him, um, this is not just poetry, It's not just a poetic language. It's not just something that is nice there for us to read in the Psalms. Of course, yes, we can read it in a metaphorical sense, and Christians have for centuries. But there's there's a reality behind a metaphor. For David is a hunted man. For there are armies encamped around him. There are uh, men pursuing him. There are those who will seek to devour him. 
And if you read David's life, you'll see that there are uh, false witnesses who will rise up against him, uh, lie about him and condemn him. So this is David's experience. One of the things that I really value um, about the Bible is that it is a realistic book. Yes, of course, it's inspirational, it's inspired, um, it's beautiful, it strengthens me, it encourages me, but it's always utterly realistic. Realistic about human nature, uh, realistic and truthful about God, realistic about life. And sometimes life is hard. And sometimes life is difficult, and sometimes life is traumatic. For me, it's an encouragement that there's, there's a book in this Bible called Lamentations, uh, which is just a long lament, the lament of Jeremiah, uh, crying out to God in the midst of hardship and uh, struggle and trial uh, about what he's experiencing. David will know hardship uh, throughout his life. There'll be moments of triumph, there'll be moments of victory, there'll be moments of great joy. Uh, one of the sort of signature moments of David's life is when the temple is completed and it says he, he dance, dances before the Lord with great joy and great abandon. Uh, but David will know tragedy um, as well. At the end of his life, uh, David has a son, a man called um, Absalom. And it's almost as though history kind of repeats itself and uh, Absalom becomes a rival for the throne. Uh, there's a battle and Absalom uh, is killed by one of, uh, one of David's lieutenants, a man called Job. And uh, David waits for the news of the battle. And in 2 uh, Samuel chapter 18, we read what happens. And a messenger comes back uh, to the palace. David by now is king. And David said, what, what news of my son? And he's told that his son has been killed on the battlefield. We read, David went to his room and he wept. He cried out, Oh, my son, my son Absalom, would that I have died instead of you. So David's known hardship. He will know hardship, but he's known hardship up to this point. He's in the midst of hardship as he writes uh, this psalm. But how does this psalm begin? How does this psalm begin? Well, as he writes of being in the midst of enemies, people seeking to devour him, uh, people chasing him, even his mother and his father uh, almost looks like they might forsake him. Verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? This too is the reality of David's experience. Not in contrast to what I've said before. Not divorced from what I've said about what's going on in his life. But this too is his experience in the midst of this trial. In the midst of his enemies. As people seek to devour him. The Lord is his stronghold. The Lord is his strength. And another psalm he'll write, The Lord is my joy. How can this be? 
How can these things, these two things, hold together in the life of David, and how can they hold together in our lives too? Well, the first thing is he's honest. He's honest about what's going on in his life. And the first thing that Jerusalem needed to do, that they would experience the peace that Christ wanted to bring, was to be honest about their situation, uh, to be real. David names his fears, names them in the presence of God, uh, describes what's going on around him. He says, of, uh, of what shall I be afraid? And then he actually names the things that he is uh, frightened of. I wonder how often we do this. How often we really uh, do this. Are honest to ourselves about the things we're worried about are honest to one another about the things we're afraid of, and are honest with God about the things that disturb us. I wonder if you're like me, um, can't bear to check your bank account balance. Anybody else like that? Especially when it gets towards the end of the month? Uh, Can't bear it, hate it, hate it. Do you want a receipt? Uh, No, it's all right, I'll just take the cash. Some of us uh, can't even acknowledge to our, ourselves the things that we're frightened of, the things that we're afraid of. We run away from them. We, we hide from them. Or perhaps we take a, a, a kind of a life of Brian approach. Um, see that film? Always look on the bright side of life. Uh, we acknowledge our fears, but we do so in a kind of superficial way, a kind of nominal way. Rather than face them realistically, we just, we just kind of skate, skate over them. Uh, too busy to get onto the, the successful resolution that we really don't spend time uh, acknowledging the things uh, that bother us, that are a threat to us. We tell ourselves, well, things, they're not that bad, really. Or that every misfortune is really an opportunity. It's a chance for us uh, to grow. Or perhaps one of those people always goes on, well, every cloud, it's always got a silver lining. And that's what we hold on to. These can be ways of avoiding dealing with the the situation we find ourselves in. Uh, Acknowledging the hardships that we experience. David doesn't do that. He's honest about the reality of his situation. But he's not overwhelmed. He's not despairing. Uh, He's not washed away in the the tide of hardship uh, that comes to him. David's found an answer. David's found a solution. David's found the peace in the midst of his troubles that Jesus hoped Jerusalem would discover as well. And the answer is there in verse 4. One thing... I ask of the Lord. This is what I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. 
that I will seek, that I will dwell, that I will gaze. What's he going to seek? What's he going to dwell with? What's he going to gaze upon? Verse 8. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. David's honest about his uh, circumstances. But he knows a peace. And that peace comes from the fact that he has sought the Lord's face. And he will keep on seeking the Lord's face. One thing he asks, one thing he seeks, that he will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. At this time, David was cut off from the worshipping life of Israel. Um, That was centred where where Saul was. Um, That's where the temple was. That's where the tabernacles were. That's where people would go to worship. So when David says, I want to dwell in your house forever, he's not saying, I I actually physically want to go to that temple, want to go to that tabernacle, and I'll be safe in there. It's not a a plea for sanctuary or a plea uh, for clemency. Rather, he's talking about an experience. He's talking about experiencing God's presence, of seeing his face, of encountering him uh, for real. I wonder if that makes you feel a little bit uh, uncomfortable. I wonder if that's a new way of thinking or a new way of talking. What does it mean to seek God's face? What does it mean to dwell in his presence? Isn't God everywhere? Aren't we always in his presence? Isn't it true that in him we live and move and have our being, as St. Paul um, writes? Well, of course, that that is true. But there's, there's a difference here. There's a difference that David's articulating in this, in this psalm, um, in this prayer. Uh, this morning we had uh, the organ playing. Uh, Paul Bracken, our, our organist, was, was playing for us. I asked him to play that first, that first hymn. And as we gathered together and as we uh, sang together, we were in his presence. We heard his music. And we could tell a little bit uh, about him, that he's a musician, that he's an organist, that he's uh, passionate about music. We could have a sense of who he is. But there's a world of difference between being in his presence and hearing his music and having a sense of who he is to actually knowing him face to face, um, to meeting with him, to talking with him, to communing uh, with him. It'd be entirely different if after this service you went back to uh, Paul's house and you had a meal with him and his wife and then uh, long into the afternoon you sat together by his fire and you, you talked and you shared stories and you shared your hopes and you shared your dreams and you fa- shared your fears and your failings. It'd be a world of difference if Paul uh, became your uh, best friend. If you shared your life together with him. Then you could say, I know him. I really know him. Then you could say, I've seen his face. This is why David can write of the Lord being his light and his salvation. This is why he can speak of not being afraid. This is why he can speak of being a stronghold. Because David has been in God's presence. 
and he's experienced his grace and he's found his strength. And his, his biggest fear um, that he says in this is not about the enemies or the people who would devour him or the people who would speak ill of him, but the Lord might in some way hide his face from him, that he might lose him, lose his grasp upon him. And so he says, this is just one thing I, I want. The only thing I need is that I may dwell in your presence uh, forever. O Jerusalem, that you might know the peace that you seek. And that peace is to be found in being honest about our circumstances, but not staying there, but rather coming into the presence of God, seeking his face and meeting him. I wonder what your one thing is, the most important thing for you, the thing above all other things that matters to you um, in your life. David shares here what his one thing is, that he would dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I wonder what your one thing is. I wonder if it's your children, that they do well at school, uh, that they grow up to be strong and, and healthy, that they get married to somebody who you love and adore and things go well for them in their life. I wonder if that's your one thing. I wonder if it's your career, that you do well at work, that you move up the ladder, that you're respected and acknowledged as, as doing well um, in your field. I wonder if it's how other people see you, how they view you, that you're liked and respected um, and honoured. I wonder if it's that you, you're prosperous, that you do well financially, that you're able to provide for yourself and your family and those who you love. I wonder what your one thing is, the most important thing to you in your life. If I had to say what the um, opposite of peace was, I would say it's anxiety. And we know, don't we, the the debilitating effect that anxiety can have uh, upon all of us. Where does that anxiety come from? Well, it comes when those one things uh, become threatened. When we've uh, put all our trust, our hope, our identity, our sense of uh, well-being upon something, and then that becomes uh, threatened. Perhaps we've invested everything in our career, and then we suddenly discover that we're not going to move up the ladder as we hoped. Or perhaps um, redundancy appears on the horizon. Or we've invested everything in our children, and things don't work out as we always thought they would. They don't get the grades. They drop out of university. Uh, their choice of a life partner is not what we hope for for them. Or our personal circumstances change. Suddenly out of the blue, completely unexpectedly, the mortgage repayments are no longer affordable. We're going to have to move house. We're going to have to uh, downsize. Our health is threatened. The test results come back and it's the news 
uh, we feared that we would hear, but hoped we never would. Anxiety comes when the things that we love, the things that we uh, trust in, the things that give us our sense of well-being, when those things are threatened. And at different times, all of these things will be threatened. If we put all of our hope in these things, if we put all of our trust in these things, then when they can start to shake, then when they can falter, then when they can fold, uh, uh, the anxiety can be crippling. Is there anything we can hope in that won't fade? Is there anyone we can trust in who won't fail? Is there anything we can put our our hope in, our reliance upon, that will ultimately let us down? Well, there is. O Jerusalem, I long to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks. St. Paul writes to the church in Rome. What then shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, or persecution or famine, or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus our Lord. Careers are good. Children are great. Uh, Our standing, our reputation matters. Relationships are important. These are all good, wonderful gifts of God to be celebrated and enjoyed and cherished. They're part of God's wonderful plan for us. But we can never make them the one thing, the only thing, the ultimate thing. If we do that, they'll always disappoint They simply cannot bear the weight of our expectation. But there is one who can. In the parables of Jesus, there's the pearl of great price. There's the treasure that will not fail, uh, fade. There's God himself. God is the pearl, God is the treasure, God is the stronghold, God is the hope. If our sense of who we are rests not on our achievements or our experiences or our children or our career or our possessions, if our sense of who we are rests on who we are in Christ and what he's done for us, then we will hold secure. Then our hearts won't be broken when everything else gives way. Or if they are, we have in him one who can put them back together again. Forty years ago, a man called uh, Jim Elliott, young man, travelled to Ecuador. 
And uh, he was in the company of five other um, uh, people in their 20s, and he was going as a missionary. And there was a tribe in Ecuador that was, uh, hadn't really been contacted by the outside world. And uh, Jim and his friends went there, and they went to um, make contact with the tribe, eventually to uh, learn the language of the tribe. And their, their hope and their dream was eventually uh, to translate the scriptures into their language and share the good news of Jesus uh, with this tribe. It was dangerous uh, work. No one quite knew how uh, things would turn out, what would happen. And so they spent many months slowly, slowly building um, up contact. First, just being in the area, then making contact, then exchanging gifts, uh, building up a rapport. And then one day they knew that the next day they would be heading into the village, the first time they would go into the village. And this was the crucial moment. This was the, uh, the most dangerous moment in the whole kind of operation. So Jim and uh, his wife, uh, Elizabeth, and the other missionaries, they gathered together, and they sang a hymn, and they prayed together uh, before they made contact with the village. And they sang this hymn. Um, we rest on thee, our shield and our defender. We go not forth alone against the foe, strong in thy strength, safe in thy keeping tender. We rest on thee. And then the next day, the men went out and they um, entered into the village. And tragedy followed. Um, They'd been tricked. And as they entered into the village, they were surrounded, uh, they were ambushed, and very quickly uh, they were killed by those uh, they'd gone to visit. Um, The rest of the party uh, pulled back and uh, and, uh, and withdrew. Jim left uh, behind his young wife, Elizabeth, who'd been there as they'd sung the hymn um, the night before. Um, a couple of years later, uh, Elizabeth returned to that tribe and carried on the work that her husband had begun. Uh, the son of one of the other missionaries who'd uh, been killed uh, joined her, and they uh, developed the work, established the work, and in time, their gospel ministry spread uh, throughout the region. And uh, Elizabeth, uh, for years afterwards, would go and speak about the events that happened and how her husband had been an inspiration to her. Um, She tells the story, and often she's asked uh, how she felt about her husband um, being killed. I've seen her interviewed, and um, one thing she does, she talks about them singing that hymn, And in one uh, uh, church where she tells the story, she's asked the question, so it didn't work then? It didn't work. You sang strong in thy strength, safe in thy keeping tender. We rest on thee. And then your husband was killed. Um, It didn't work. And Elizabeth replied, of course it works. We also sang, Jesus our righteousness our sure foundation, our prince of glory, our king of love. Um, Jim kept a journal. And in that journal, he wrote on days before um, he was killed. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in exchange for that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives that which he cannot keep for that which he cannot lose. 
What he meant there is he, he'd given up uh, his uh, uh, temporal life, his earthly life, and he'd received in exchange an eternal life without spot or wrinkle, without blemish, that will not fade. Elizabeth um, Elliot goes on to say that uh, the hope of Jim was that the people they were visiting would discover Jesus and would know him as he knew him. And when she's asked about his death, um, she says with tears and with sorrow, not not in a glib way, um, but she says, well, yes, he died, but now he's in God's house. Now he's in God's presence. Now he's before the face of his maker and enjoys his presence forever. And one day, I will join him. Verse 27, or uh, Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is a stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I'm confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning as real people. Real people with uh, real fears and anxieties and worries. Uh, Real lives where things go wrong, where we mess up, where people let us down, where things don't turn out um, as we hoped and planned and prayed. And often, Lord, we're missing that peace that we know is or should be ours in you. Lord, we thank you for the gift of Jesus. We thank you for that image of him uh, praying and weeping over Jerusalem and longing that they would experience his peace. And Lord, we thank you that he, he weeps over us too and he prays over us too and he longs for us to know his peace. And so far, we pray you give us the desire that David had, that desire to seek you and to come before your face, and to stay in your presence, and to hold on to you. Lord, we pray that you give us a hunger and a thirst for you, that we wouldn't be satisfied with anything less than you. And that in being satisfied in you, we'd be satisfied in all things. And we come to know that peace which passes all understanding. In the name of Jesus, the Prince of Peace, we pray. Amen. We stand and sing, This is my prayer in the desert. <laughs>